0: Hello, all you listeners out there in listener land. It is season five, episode two of Book Record Beer Humdinger today. Very, very excited. Uh, as always, I am Nick Mahalik, joined by my good friend, Daniel DeFranco.
1: Hey, that's me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And Just trying to kill some time. Kill some time. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and my my other
0: good friend, of course, Nick Gregorio. Say hello to the peep. Hello to the peeps. Well done. You got quite a dome going there, brother. <laughs> that is what? thick and luxurious. I am nothing but jealous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it hides my, my widow, widow's peak.
0: Better dude. to have a widow's peak than no peak at all, friend. in just absence of peakage.
2: oh who are we talking about (laughs) oh jesus there you go (laughs) i'm not alone that's good i thought i was alone yeah you got
0: two Vakemans over here looking at you (laughs) um so we uh daniel picked this cast which is um why i said it's a humdinger it's 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 pretty wild we uh, are going to be reading lakewood by megan giddings Little sci fi, little weird, little based in reality. Uh, we are also going to be looking at um, and listening to rather, Francis the Mute, the 2005 offering from the Mars Volta.
2: The Mars Volta. So excited. The Mars Volta. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was good. Um, and we are going to be drinking dogfish heads. Apollo Santo Moron. Is it Moron?
1: Mm, it's, it's called good night, sweet prince. Oh, dude, <laughs> oh, you are shit. you are
0: not wrong. This is, um, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this and then watch how steadily and quickly my speech just completely degrades. It's a, uh, it's a, it, that's a 12 percenter, isn't it?
1: Oh, indeed. Oh,
0: oh, oh, sweet Christ. Good Lord. Good Lord. Um, all right. So uh, let's jump in. I'm going to I'm going to do it this way just because this is everything is so unique in this in this pick. This is crazy. I don't think we've ever had one where everyone kind of stands out as a weird offering. You know, usually the beer is like subdued or something like that. Every single one of these is crazy. Um,
1: and that's what unifies it.
0: Yes, I would definitely agree there. I would definitely agree there. So uh, I'm going to introduce, if I were to introduce these cats, this album actually has like a musical director. Actually, most Mars Volta albums do. And there's like sort of like a, almost a, a guidance that this extra person offers. Um, and so we are going to be introduced as, uh, as groups or bands that have some sort of spiritual guide, musical guide, some sort of extra person in there. Uh, pulling some strings in some way um Nick Gregorio you my friend are well for every reason I think but uh but mostly because they like to kick them out you are <laughs> of course John Sinclair spiritual guide and director for the for the mc5 um not necessarily because of your your politics or anything like that just because the mc5 I think, I would associate with you because they uh they fucking kick them out, and um and that's I think their only like hit too is is stick out the jams. I think that's the only one that like kind of broke them anyway. But it but in any case, uh you know Sinclair is this this pretty wild spiritual advisor who like basically made them political and push limits and and stuff like that. Uh. Pretty sure he was like an architect of like the White Panther Party, too, to show solidarity and whatnot. Um, it's pretty wild, dude. Um, uh, not necessarily sure I'm behind everything he did by any stretch, but uh, they had a spiritual advisor, and you are the MC5. Uh, Daniel DeFranco, uh, based solely on um, how fucking I think just good this dude's lyrics are, and the fact that I think you would really enjoy this. Uh, I'm gonna say that you are Bernie Toppin, the lyricist for Elton,
1: Sir Elton John. Can you um? Can you do me a favor? What's that? Can you go fuck yourself? <laughs> 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 you're not you're not a fan of
0: of the uh, the Birdman's lyricist.
1: I think he is the worst lyricist ever. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like really second- ever. Because Pete yeah. Townsend
0: is definitely the worst lyricist ever. Mm. No, I think Bernie he's, might be. He's the hottest garbage to ever put pen to paper.
1: If I was a. If <laughs> I'm I so was a, bad. I, okay, we could spend the whole cast just dissecting I all mean, of Bernie's bad lyrics.
0: I, or we could just, you know, look at Candle in the Wind and make you look like an asshole. Hmm.
1: All right, fair enough. <laughs>
0: Candle in the wind, I thought, was really good. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's having been a child. Listen,
1: ma'am, every, every turd under pressure will be a diamond. One day. I think, isn't that the saying? I like right? it. No. It's definitely, not. it's definitely not. You've
0: molested somebody's <laughs> lyrics there, I think. Uh, but uh, let's move forward. That wasn't our greatest offering, I don't think, or my greatest. Yeah.
1: Speaking of molestation, uh, your Nick Mahalik, if I was to introduce you, this has nothing, this has nothing to do with molestation. <laughs> Thank God. Um, Thank God. Yeah.
2: Where are we headed? I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to take my name off
1: this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would be the band leader for Conan O'Brien on the late night with Conan O'Brien and the tonight show with Conan O'Brien. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. That's Weinberg. who you would be. Oh, that's yeah. such a good one, that man. That guy was awesome. For he, a couple of reasons. Because you're from New Jersey. Nice. You're a drummer. That's true. Um, I, I don't know of your heritage, but I, I feel that you dabble in the Judaism.
0: <laughs> I'm not. But I am married to one, and my son is
1: one, so there we are. So close enough. And my son and, also plays the drums. And yes, your son is going to play the drums for Slipknot one day? Exactly, <laughs> and against
0: me, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that blew my mind because they're both—they're so good. I could—I could talk about the Weinberg uh, drum boys for quite some time because they are—they are so fucking good. Thank you. I—that uh, was the best one. Way to totally save that section. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nicely, nicely done. Uh, all right, let's get let's get into it, gents. Um, I gotta say lakewood i i was saying this earlier i don't know why i know it's a town and it's a town in new jersey in the in the novel it's set in michigan um but i could not remember the name of this fucking book for the life of me uh and i don't know if that's uh, you know emblematic or something else but man that was that was fucking crazy i think though before we get any further we should make a point to give a sense of what this is a a debut novel from Megan mm-hmm. Giddings, uh, who is is she? She's not still an MFA student, is she? Mm, I don't. I think, think she so. was when it came out.
1: Or she was in Indiana, I believe. Well, she earned her MFA from Indiana University, so this was. I mean, she had to have graduated already if that's the jacket cover.
0: Right. I just. Um. I. Th- I, th- I thought I read somewhere that that it perhaps came out when she was still a student or something like that. Um. But her first chapter is, I think,
1: one. A grant while she was, I, okay. th- I think, still a student. I think okay. that's what's
0: maybe that's what I saw. So in any yeah. case, she um, this is her, her debut novel, um, major release. Yes, very. Uh, this is Harper Collins, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, an imprint,
1: right? Amistad, but that's an imprint of Harper Collins. They got definitely the weight behind, you know, that that Harper Collins uh, stanky quiche. Quiche.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Gruyere in that. Um, and we uh, we also. <laughs> um, have a, a cool little like sci-fi historical fiction, uh, weaving into this, into this tale a little bit, um, which was, uh, really, really interesting. Cause a lot of that, um, historical significance with talking about, uh, medical testing on minorities and different things like that, um, was pretty present from, from the very beginning, um, because I usually like to read, like interviews or whatever and, and whatever after I read the actual story, of course. So I'll, I'll read that first, and I'll go and and a lot of the things that like were jumping out to me initially um, were things that uh, interviewers seem to to really harp on. Um, and so, in any case, what we have here is a. Um, were you saying Lena, Lena?
1: I don't know how to say your name. I was saying I'll say it Lena in my head. Okay. Lena.
0: Um so Lena it the story begins with uh, her losing her grandmother. Her mother's uh quite sick of a something of a mysterious um disease that causes seizures and things like that. So she's she's you know the caretaker of her mother in 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 some way she also has uh you know tons of bills the actual medical debt uh becomes really present after the grandmother passes. Um and then this uh Lakewood uh, experiment <laughs> shows up at her door via uh, a letter that's super mysterious and classic mystery horror movie tropey, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and she, uh, you know, sees that it offers housing, insurance, a pretty serious amount of money. Um,
1: and, sign me uh, up.
0: She signs up for the trials. Uh, and I think that's a pretty good intro. What do you guys think?
1: No, that's, that's it. That's a, that's exactly it. That's a, it's a great classic setup for horror. Yes. Here's your, here's your fucked up normal world. Yeah. And this disrupts it.
0: I think we should say though, that she is a college student at the beginning as well. Um, so she is, she is a college student. That's pretty important. Uh, and then of course, so, you know, there's, there's numerous pressures on this woman, and she is uh, given this sort of opportunity uh, to go ahead and and, and dive into um, this these experimental trials uh, which are um, bizarre and um you know I think for me one of the the major things like i I, I just said a little uh, previously was that I couldn't help but see the parallels that um I think she was she was pretty obviously driving at of the Idea of medical testing, uh, particularly on minorities in the country with the pandemic right now, it just it, it's, it's slapping us in the face where this distrust of the medical industry in America um, from minority groups because of this very stuff um is, is really, really present right now. I see it in some of the reactions and conversations with students and things where these ideas of vaccines and 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 trusting what's being said to us from scientists. Um, you know, it's a very odd juxtaposition where there's this very real sort of historical reasoning for not trusting the medical profession from certain groups in our country. Um, and then this very juxtaposed just straight up ignorance to not trusting the medical, perfect, right? So there's this, there's this uh, with a lot of minority groups, like you look at the Tuskegee syphilis sort of experimentation there where these you know, African-American men were given syphilis just to see what the fuck would happen. And, and it was guised in this, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to see uh, how this affected group will react to X and Y, but really they just gave them syphilis and then just let it go to see what the late stages would do to them. You know, Um, and it's really fucked up. And there's numerous, numerous instances of that um, that we see throughout the medical history in our country. And so a lot of people in minority groups, particularly particularly African-American communities, um, don't trust the medical profession for these very reasons. And she explores that. I couldn't help but keep seeing that when the staff of the Lakewood, what is the full name? The Lakewood fucking... That's that, farmhouse the, that's the or first.
1: Something? Yeah, the Lakewood fucking farmhouse. Yeah,
0: yeah, the Lakewood fucking farmhouse. All, all the doctors and, and secretaries and nurses are white, and all the patients essentially uh, are are from my, these minority groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so just, the more that I saw, I just I, I couldn't help but drawing these parallels, and it's just it's such an interesting thing to think like, yeah, we keep saying trust the science, listen to the science, this and that with the science, when there's a very real reason why some people are hesitant to do so. Um, And Mm -hmm. I like that she explored that in these, the early chapters, especially.
1: Yeah. um, I, I guess the real life juxtaposition of that is it's not like dumb Hicks not trusting science because they, they don't want to, you know,
0: or cause Jenny McCarthy says it'll give their children autism or some bullshit.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, there's a different, um, distrust here, not a.
2: Yeah, one's fake
1: yeah. and the other is not. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> right. Yeah, <like. laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if that struck anybody else or if that was something that that was sort of on the radar on um, these first these first chapters and things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely on the nose. She's definitely references those. I mean, even in the novel, she talks right. about those things. Right. Yeah.
2: So
0: yeah. Um, and that was the thing. I I I wonder, like, because I was thinking about them you know i mean that's in the 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 public forum you know like i was thinking Mm -hmm. about them uh chapter two chapter three chapter you know when we're first introduced to this like oh wow it's very very clear that she has certain reservations about uh, she being uh lena about the um, some of these white people authority figures that she's that she's encountering, and I was like, "Oh, knowing what's what's going on here, it, it it definitely seems to me like we're gonna get that explored." Do we think that she explored it enough? Like, do we think that she 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 really dug into to that reticence and 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 what it really means to to be sort of a body in these trials?
2: Um. So. I, I think there's a lot of uh, of subtext going on in this book, in which, for example, like in the early stages of you know she's out of desperation because of the medical bills piling up, she decided to yes do these trials, but they're giving her drugs and they're having some fairly severe side effects like like diarrhea and vomiting and 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 pretty brutal things that like people would would harp on, be like I'm not doing this shit anymore, I'm sick as hell, right? But like. It is sort of glossed over I mean she obviously mentions That they're there but it's glossed over And I think that has to do with the fact that like You know on a, on a wider uh, Lens of the book I mean you have you have uh, An African American black communities dealing with So much shit that typically Would be considered heinous and Other people like white people would be like why the fuck Are you doing that Right. Um, but people are forced To be used to horrible things yeah, um, it's
1: just the way it is.
2: Yeah, I, and I, I found that that really well done in that it was just like, oh yeah, I got the I had this horrible bout of diarrhea. They needed a stool sample, and I passed out for six hours. Right, like it was just a laundry list of facts, and I and I appreciated that 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 portion of it very much because it just it really it really sent a. It, it, it had an indictment behind it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It was, yeah. Well,
0: I, that, that, that was the thing was like, usually in these types of trials and various things, like you are given very clear, a very clear idea of what the possible side effects are and you can punch out whenever you want. You know what I mean? And, and just that idea that like, she's gone into this thing in what seems to be our reality, you know it doesn't seem to be this uh, an alternate world or something like that that this book is is placed in um and she doesn't push back really at all when she's not given that kind of information and um that to me, th- like I found myself going, well, dude, I would have punched out already. Like I would have been, I would have been out. Um, but it's it's, yep. it's having the, um, I guess, the privilege or the luxury to to think that way, and um, right. you know, to, to to be able to do that. I just wish that the the extent of the, the debt, let's say, or the the um, the impetus for going through that was a little bit more fleshed out in those beginning chapters, um, so that there was a, a little bit more buy-in. Um, that I could have a little bit more buy, and I was—I felt like I was at a little bit of an arm's length in in, in the beginning there to, to believe that the character would subject herself to this because she was extraordinarily intelligent and like, very, very questioning of a lot of things.
2: Could that arm's length approach have been intentional?
0: You know, I, I haven't landed on a yes or no on that. Um, it, yeah. it felt like a, at times, there were moments that felt like missed opportunities to really um, sort of unpack uh, some things in the, in the, in the text, whether it be the character or just even just, just give us more footing. Um, And I don't know what the end game would have been to not do it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I I felt that the first couple chapters were the most um, I guess, inviting us into the world. So I, I guess I'm yeah. a little at odds with you there. If anything, I felt the arm was being extended. The further I read,
0: okay, um, so you're pushed away further. You, you felt like you weren't, you know, able yeah. to, able to 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 lock into the the character as much as you went in.
1: Yeah, and let me let me point out a line on page ten that um, I think really, this is the end of chapter one, and I was hanging my hat and my hopes on. On this cuz I thought it was a really great line they're talking about Lena so she's got she has just come from her grandmother's funeral her and her mother Desiree who she calls Desiree, not mom um, right. they are at the casino all night because that's what the grandma would have wanted because that's what the grandma did with all her friends
0: I think she like literally requested that they do that yeah and yeah she had like little like her buddies at the casino like bringing them special drinks that she had, like, pre-planned. It was actually kind of, like, um, really well thought out, I thought.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, So, at the end of the chapter, Lena is, she goes home. It's, who knows what time it is. She's had a super long day dealing with the funeral, the after, um, I'm going to call it the party, but whatever you'd call the after wake. Yeah. Um, And she's got her sick mom. She makes bills, grandma's medical bills mom's medical bills just regular household bills yeah um, she's got tuition she's got three to four papers to write and one of them was I think on astronomy and or physics um, and here's the line that I thought really set up the rest of the book and I feel like maybe I don't know well here's the line she needed to understand the math to calculate a star's gravity and its effect everything ar- and its effect on everything around it while it was still living so she needed to understand how much yeah a thing was going to affect everything around it yeah. was that and you know was that her mom is that herself you You immediately are
0: thinking death because of the way the chapter is set up, right? The death of the grandmother and the grandmother has literally touched like everybody from the waiter at a casino to Mm -hmm. the women from her church, like all these people. So that's where I I was. I I picked out that line as well. And I, I remember thinking like, Oh, this is interesting because it seems like it's definitely about the grandmother. But I wonder because all the characters I do have a strong sense of right now, um, could actually be that star as well and is that what we're talking about where everybody is this is this star in that way you know and
1: and, and more specifically the word gravity you know what does gravity do you you can't fight it it always wins in right. the words of radiohead yeah you know like of course and what effect is it going to have on you depending on your decisions you know are you going to go to this experiment or not you know you're going to help your mother or not Um, all of the things that someone has to make a decision on it's going to affect you so um when that when it was set up like that and i think i expected a lot more than um i guess what was presented i don't want to i don't know how how spoily we want to be because it's still a relatively new release yeah no
0: i Um, i actually that's why I kind of started talking about the historical context and things because yeah. ultimately for me, where my mind went that I felt like was a strong success for the book because as, as a narrative and, and a story, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but I I was, um, I don't know. I felt like there was some missed opportunities. I saw that there was a few comparisons to like Handmaid's Tale and these different things. and And I thought that was a little bit, odd given the complexity of the worlds and the intricacy of these you know spec fiction that it's that it's being related to where i didn't see that here as much i Um, i didn't
1: i I didn't either i i I feel like what we're seeing with with that and we can't blame megan giddings or or her book that's other people that's other people just trying to categorize a thing I, and I agree peop- and get people to spend their minds. Oh, I do like the handmaid's tale or some other book that you know what? people kept referencing it to. And it's like, well, I thought it's more
0: sinister than that, dude. I thought it's like yeah. a, r- a real wake up. Like look how few female writers we have in these various genres who have been putting out things like this, you know, look at, look how how few we have that we could, that the, that the reference it can't be as specific, you know? Um, but if, yeah you know and if it was a if it was a male uh, writer and, and things like we would have way more of not only a general knowledge of but a very more uh, specific tie in that we could relate it to you know and that that is that's a big concern when you think about literature and, and just you know what we engage with is, is like yeah there there's and that's part of the book too right this underrepresentation representation mm-hmm. um, is, is a pretty big thing and um,
1: yeah I don't I think- know that's probably why this is, I don't know, is in the overall schemes of literature, I mean, we, we, we won't know, because for, for years and years and years, is this an important book? Is it going to stand as being an important book? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but in this moment... The timing's crazy. It, yeah, in this moment, it's being touted as an important book. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think that's maybe why there were these kind of, uh, comparisons that were maybe reaching a little bit more because they didn't know where to, to meet the book, I guess, and, and introduce yeah. it to, um, you know, what, what does, what did on the back of the book essence says reminiscent of Jordan Peele's terrifying film, get out. It says nothing about the book. It just eh, <laughs> yeah. reminds us of this other. It says There's more it. about Jordan Peele's movie than it does her, yes. her book, which is like, yeah. So it's, um, it's, yeah, I, I, it's, it is it is strange
0: to just think about timing and stuff like that, too, with this, mm-hmm. you know, given, given that that's going on and we have immense medical debt in this country. We have immense education, student loan debt. Right. And And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 crazy that we are literally through capitalism shackling people to decades of, you know, essentially servitude to these debts um
1: not even decades lives they're dedicating yeah their their
0: offspring might have that debt you know um when they pass and and so i think in thinking about it that way and seeing that that that's literally how the story starts to your point of that that quote that you pulled from the first chapter that that's she's handed it in an envelope Mm -hmm. in no uncertain terms
2: yeah and she's you know and uh, i'm the spoilery thing you made me nervous, damn it! <laughs> but like, even even the sequence I didn't say of events that happens spoilery. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like Daniel referencing, like he doesn't know how spoilery he should be, yeah, because it's new. But like, even throughout the course of the novel, I mean, you you, you have you have generational horror right handed down, yeah, um and the the feeling at the end is like. They got her. (laughs) You know what I mean. It's, it's, it's um, it's a nightmare. Yeah, um, it's a total nightmare. Uh, And
0: and it brings up this this sort of interesting thing for me. I don't mean to cut you off. Did you have something there, Nick? I'm sorry.
2: No, you're good. Um,
0: was this? So I recently watched um, Frost Nixon weird weirdly. Uh, and there's that great line where he gets um Nixon to say it's not illegal if the president does it, you know. And that really, to me, was kind of emblematic of, of how we see uh, our medical professionals and sort of these 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 doctors and these various people who are running trials and stuff like that. Like. There's always this guise of for the greater good, for progress and for pushing us forward. We saw it with the Congo and uh, King Leopold from Belgium, right? He kills, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I think it's half the population uh, through like literally working them to death, um, essentially working the sex instinct out of them. They're not procreating at all. Um, he kills like 10 million people in 10 years, something like that, right? It's, it's massive. Um, and it's all through the guise of bringing culture and progress to the Congo, which was seen as this uncivilized uh, piece of Africa. And we also see it, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways with this idea of that we have to crack a few eggs to, to be able to move the, the bulk of us forward. There's people, I know friends of mine are having family members um, send uh, to the family text threads and stuff, these articles about herd immunity and stuff. the the people are gonna die we gotta they're gonna die we gotta let them die um and and with this whole thing it just brings me to the idea of like do we need this crack a few eggs thing like do we need to test and try and and essentially maim and kill people for the greater good like is that is that something that should continue or do we need to put a hard stop on it
1: it is happening and it's happening it absolutely is happening we know it's happening yeah happening to um minority groups they're the target Um, exactly yeah it happened
0: to enslaved peoples in the past and you know
1: is it okay because they're voiceless generally you know
0: yeah absolutely not i mean but that's the thinking is like there won't be any pushback because there the people that are that are being used in this either in her case and Lena's case absolutely need uh, uh, the money so they're consenting as it were but can mm-hmm. you consent when you're already shackled by the system
1: right 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 because right. I, I mean as a straight white male me um go on well, I've got, I've got, I've got a, this is my world, you know, I would still, I think I would still sign up for one of these if my student loans would go away.
0: So, so wait, what do you mean? This is your world. I missed that.
1: Oh, I I mean this world being, oh, a, being, being a white dude that I have not many obstacles.
0: Right, right. Gotcha. You, gotcha. You. But you would still consent to this trial if it provided what it provides our yeah. protagonist. Yeah. Right and and that's the thing now is like interestingly the system is is cutting the vast majority of the population off at the knees with these various things medical debt student loan debt and are what are essentially i guess this is another part of it like would we even benefit from our sacrifice would it be our children that get the vaccine for cancer or would it be the elite that get the vaccine for cancer
1: uh probably the elite right <laughs>
0: do you know what i mean so like yeah. we, we wouldn't uh we being the working class of, of the of america um even see the product of this and and that for me was one of the real big takeaways from from this how um much i i i got into the story or had like sort of you know mixed feelings on various pieces of the writing the, the big questions, and this kind of goes back to when we talked about Buck, too. Like, I had issues with, with Buck in, in various ways. But then when you look at it as, as, as a piece and what it is moving your mind to think about, um, I think it really succeeds in that way. And with this, that's what it's doing for me. It's really making me think, like, yeah, like, I've been programmed and, and really moved to think that medical progress will benefit us all. Yeah. We do our sacrifice. You know, you sacrifice. Uh, uh, people will put themselves up to get in these trials, and these various things will happen, um, and and it will be for the greater good. And and the 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 fact of the matter is is like, people aren't unfortunately based on it because of our system, we're not gonna get um, uh, insulin for free anymore.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Right? Like when insulin came out, it was free. Because the dude was like, everybody needs this. this yeah. the, you, everybody who needs this needs this, and, and they're they're gonna have it. And so, when we look at what used to be um, such a revered thing, it's now business in America has taken over to such an extent that um, you really do see this this class divide and this just just general divide that that makes us less a human race and 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 more the people that can survive because they can afford to survive and the rest of us.
1: Yeah. So um, I guess that's what I was getting at with my point about me saying that I would sign up for these things
0: because you're you're with the rest of us.
1: Exactly. This book, this book is um, it's it's a lot of things um, and it definitely represents some of those ideas, not just the African-American experience or the um, other minority experience in the country. Um, What do they have in the in the experiments? There were um, Black Americans, um, Latinx, and like an Indian guy, right? Right. Yeah, is what is how how it was described in the in the chapter. Yeah, Um, but
0: wasn't there like a bunch of one
1: uh, one super old white lady? Yeah, Um, but
0: like there was like a bunch of like the secretary kept changing, but she was always the same name. The same name exactly, Yeah, 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 over and over again or something.
1: Yeah, Judy. Yeah, um, so the what Lakewood does well, um, is that it is a reflection on a lot of things and not just a particular exp- experience. So I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, I think if I said this is a book of ideas, I think that's saying, I think that's saying too much, but this is a book that definitely has a few ideas that are, um, you know, if you were unpacking this in an English class, we could we could take your angle that you just said about all of us being down here, mm-hmm. or we could look at it from um, race relations. We can look at it from a historical perspective. Yeah, you know, so yeah, but it's absolutely. all kind of it's all kind of tied into the same to the same narrative, you know, moving forward. And and at the end, um, you know, like there aren't really a lot of answers. No,
0: that's where I I think I I really identified quite a bit was like that level of hopelessness that um you know i found myself in um that reality when it felt like you had hope but that was a complete um i don't want to say guys but like it's it's how you're it's how you're sucked into so much in america is this idea of hope you know uh it's it's such a
1: drug yeah so um maybe we are uh i've got the hard cover edition i don't think there is any other edition but if we just look at the cover as maybe kind of tie this all together we've got um a, a black woman who is super tired clearly yeah um yeah um is she emerging is she sinking is she disappearing that's she a struggling? really good point like it, the way or, you
0: see the cover might be the way you know it, remi-
1: it reminds me of those um uh, beautiful like michelangelo sculptures the one where it's the woman in marble right right where it's only half yeah it's yeah, like yeah. it's this person or even it, or that, like
0: a Jacques G- Cometti with his real uh, thin guys yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Or even even the idea. I, it might have been Michelangelo or, or or Leonardo that said that. You know, the figure is underneath it. I'm just revealing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something like that. Anyway, this the the cover of it is is super telling. Um, what do What do yeah. you think of that? I mean, I know it's kind of silly to talk about the cover of a book, but hey, it's. I no,
0: think no. The, I, I think how you see the cover is 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 could parallel your experience with the text. And for me, it felt like um like you were saying almost like an archaeological dig that's how i saw the cover was like that this this person is is being revealed but is is literally stuck in stone like is is yeah is in know, white
1: in white stone or spackle or paint whatever that is you know right
0: right yeah you know sort of like a han solo situation
1: um nice I, I think I like it. So
0: good contribution.
1: For for, for me, um, Nick, I, I, I could end my part of this for the uh sake of time on the hopelessness. And I think no matter what lens you look at it at this book that you meet it at, there is this idea of a star's gravity, and I guess how I started, gravity always wins. It's hopeless yeah. to to try to fight that
0: did you yeah so that's a really good uh good point i would say like did did we ever get the sense because i wanted to keep reading that's the big thing is like i wanted to keep turning the page for sure um but i'm not sure i ever got the sense that it was going to get better and that's no that that was sort of my my take to go with your your point there
1: yeah gregorio what what do you what do you got buddy
2: um so I, I think there's a lot that's left off the page that I wish might have found its way onto it um, because my imagination sort of ran wild with this metatextual sort of secondary narrative in which um, mm-hmm. you have, you know, this person obviously in part two is saying, I'm writing this for you. If, if, I'm, if I disappear, I need you to read this or this is coming to you, et cetera. Yeah, and then that would suggest that um, by us reading it, she disappeared. You know what I mean? Um, I so, think that's
1: where the handsmit ma- the handmaid's. It's tale. gotta be. Yeah, it's gotta
2: yes. be the handmaid's tale. Yeah, yeah. Connection. So like, I, I there's, but I will say the stuff that's left off the page, the stuff that offers answers, the stuff that would offer comfort, um, um, in like a narrative point of view, um, not being there creates a really great. Um, feeling of oh fuck what the fuck do i do with this you know what i mean and like and i think that was creating um a, an atmosphere for the reading of this book for the analysis of this book and and that's what i really appreciated and that's what i took away from it because it, like i finished the book and i thought wow you know i i wish there was more to this i wish i got something but there it is you know what i mean that's it mm-hmm. that's the that's the point yeah
0: yeah that's that's a really that's a really good point because it's like do you think it was like fuck you I don't want you to be comfortable like this isn't a comfortable thing this is this fucking this is fucking real and it fucking sucks and it's very 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 present um and so I didn't I
2: don't know if it was like confrontational like that I think it was more like a creeping death
0: okay you know what I mean
2: it was like there is no comfort here I have no answers um it gravity yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: no that's good stuff i i would definitely be on board with that i definitely would be on board with that cuz it is it's it's one of those things too where if you do start digging into that like just historically and different things like that yeah you don't you don't feel better and you don't feel like you have answers and it doesn't seem like it's changed much you know what i mean um yeah. and and that Whole thing, it kind of makes you, it kind of makes you sick, you know, because yep. it's not all Louis Pasteur, man. <laughs>
2: you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. the, the the disorientation involved in this book that that makes you that it makes you feel is is like, it's like it, it's uncomfortable as shit. It is not. Yeah, an, it it you is. Know?
0: You're walking around in a little bit of a daze when you're reading this, cause, oh, for sure. Cause you're, because you're not left with much, but you're also, you know your mind is your mind is going, and it's reeling, so I think given it would be interesting to see and it can never be seen, but if it were to have come out not in a pandemic what what the reaction to it would have been, um, not to say that it would have been drastically different, better, worse, or otherwise, but like, yeah, like we're attuned to this
1: and and also. It came out and it was being amplified big time during our uh, really massive civil unrest in the beginning of the right. summer. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um,
2: I'd be yeah. interested to see a, a, an adaptation, a film adaptation of this, to see how that would be handled. And of course, this will get a film adaptation because that's just how things happen. Right. Um, yeah, that
1: would be really cool. Really It'd be interesting. Really good, but unfortunate um, marketing. Yeah. Promotion for the yes. book. Yes. Yes. Rather not marketing, I guess promotion. Yeah.
0: Right on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Closing thoughts are certainly every just echoing the statements you guys made, and and I just um I like it when I I when I am forced to think about stuff that really interests me and equally upsets me. And that's what this book did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This, this is it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. I like having my, my tree shook my bell rung. If you will, your lemon (laughs) squeezed. I feel like there was a lot of just sexual innuendo. That was totally (laughs) unintentional in in both of those.
2: Or this thing. It also, it reads swiftly like a a popular novel would. But I if you see like, someone reading that on the beach, you better be like, "Hey, um uh, <laughs> you're not going to have a good day. You, <laughs> you made a poor choice." Uh, uh, yeah. Don't don't go in the water. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: nice. Yeah, um agreed. Agreed. I don't I don't have much more cuz I I do think Daniel you're correct in in us sort of uh showing a little bit of restraint to not Spoil certain things and, um, you know, leave it. Leave I think
2: it we did
1: a. I think we did a pretty good job.
2: Yeah. So. I, this was minorly spoilery, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. we're in. The, I think we did a nice job though. It's like, a, like a day. day not, old. not to not to toot our own horn. So <laughs> yeah. <to speak. laughs> for not
0: spoiling, like that's a bar that we should. A
2: little, <laughs> it's
1: a little bit of buttermilk, you know. It's, <laughs> not, it's not fresh, but it ain't it ain't bad yet, you know. You can make a
0: biscuit with that though. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right. Shall we jump into, um, the Mars Volta?
2: Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes,
0: (laughs) Francis. All right. Uh, so we are going to talk about the Mars Volta's, uh, 2005 release Francis, the mute. Um, now I got to say, Holy moly, do I love the Mars Volta? I was a huge at the drive in fan. Um, and then when the Mars Volta came out, I was on it from Tremulant on, so I got to see those guys in '03 when they opened up for Queens of the Stone Age and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, back in the back in, in, in that time uh, when they were still playing like Tremulant and Dilaw stuff.
1: Um, was um Flea part of the Tremulant lineup?
0: That's why they toured with the Chili Peppers, yeah. He did. Oh, okay.
2: So he did oh, okay. so D-Louse and tremulant,
0: and he did Francis the Mute. He plays trumpet on Francis the Mute. You're right, right. Yeah, he played trumpet on the other two as well. Um, he's actually. I mean, I almost want to argue he's a better trumpet player than he is a bassist because that shit is fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Francis the Mute, like I was talking about um earlier, has this really interesting sort of background where, sort of, their their like audio artist, if you will, Stu Jeremy Ward was like a repo man, right? And he, in one of the cars he got, found this diary, um, and it, like, freaked him out because the whoever was writing the diary, their life mimicked his. They were both orphans, and mm-hmm. in the diary it was all, like, these... Uh, people who were kind of pointing him towards finding his birth parents and stuff. So Francis, the mute is actually almost a concept much. How like a lot of their stuff has that concept. Like D is a lot about their, their friend who, who died, who was real, you know, close to Omar and, and, um and stuff. And, and in any case, this, Omar's the singer for no, Omar's the, no, uh, Omar's the guitarist. Um, oh Jesus. Who's the singer? He's sort of Cedric Cedric. Um, Almost sort of the, the band leader. He's the producer of this album as well. Um, he's a just,
2: wacky dude.
0: <laughs> he's the man. I love him. Uh, <laughs> but he is a wacky dude. Um, but in any case, so yeah, so the, Jeremy Ward's, st- like, you know, essentially, and I think he's worked with them on every album since. Um he was like, yeah, this 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 dude's life mimics my life and it's fucking wild and let's use that as sort of the impetus for this um for this album. And that's that's how we get Francis uh the mute. Every named track is one of the people named in this in this odd diary he found. And that's my intro for the for the album.
2: Yeah, I'll give you my intro. I fucking love this record. Um <laughs> tell us is... why, Nick? Um so I guess when it came out in 2005, I, I, I was the, the most progressive band I was listening to was Rush. Okay. Um, and when I heard stuff off D Last, I was in a mind space where I was like, how, how can you like this? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Really um, and,
2: interesting. Yeah. And then on a whim, um, I, I remember what I did that day. I remember what mall I was at. And I, like, I bought this record at a mall in, in Hamilton, New Jersey, in Mays Landing, New Jersey, excuse me, at the Hamilton Mall. And I put it in my car and I listened to it all the way home, um, which which was about the amount of time the album took. Yeah, it's about like 80, an hour. 80, yeah, yeah, like eighty minutes. Um, and I was entranced. Um, everything. I was disoriented. I was uncomfortable. I found myself like really rocking out hard to a lot of a lot of pieces here and there, and um, it just was a a wonderful uncomfortable mishmash of sound and and monstrous technique and talent that yeah. i had never heard like that before um and then when of course when the strings come on in and during Cassandra i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> dude
0: this is one of the only songs that i've put on in a bar and had numerous people come up to me and go what it what is what is this? I yeah. put on uh la Viva La Vazquez, um Elvia baby, which was the you know that was like I guess if you if there was a single from this album, it would be that um yeah. and uh, I put that on, and obviously it's a super long song and stuff too um dude in in during the course of that song playing, I had maybe three or four people come up to me and ask me what it was, and I you know you guys know what i listen to at this point never have had that happen (laughs) before at a bar (laughs) where i've played something uh ever so i think that's a testament to this song sort of or this album rather's um like odd accessibility because like Tremulent's my favorite of all those mars volta albums for sure followed by the louse followed by this and it's interesting to see just weirdly how accessible this album is even though it feels like it's out there when you're first listening to it. You know what I mean? Um,
2: it, it's a challenge. Kind you
0: know. of. Yeah, yeah, I I think... I, I don't know. I'm always, um, you know, of course, listening to it ag- again for this. Um, it, it does feel so, so, so very, like, accessible in the way that it's been put together, though. Like, there's there's these clear starts and stops and it it's it's not this like swirling sweeping just you know gale um like some of the other albums are
1: so i am a uh deloused in the comatorium fan i think that is their that that's the album for me for mars volta um i think francis the mute i think it is i don't think it's bad so i let me just put that out there first i am a fan of this album i, I like the mars volta but to be critical, um, I think it's a little too disorienting, uh, a little too self-indulgent and uh, frankly drawn out. That's um, really
0: interesting because this is one of the few albums where the way they recorded it was to literally not be those things.
1: I know. I, I didn't know much <laughs> about the process until I think two or three days ago. Um, actually, just yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> It seemed to. It was back I mean, ninety-five.
0: I found that.
1: Well, that's 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 what it feels like these days with oh, like man, me online teaching and whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, so they had out, yeah, yeah. So they had that musical director, and they. What I thought was super remarkable is that since they didn't want it to seem like it was a meandering kind of, you know, living organic, thing at first. Every part was like orchestrated written and he had each he went to each member separately and had them practice it slow until they got their part and then they brought up the speed until everybody knew their exact written part which is that's so nuts to me and then they'd come together and then they were allowed to kind of put their own flavor on it and I'm thinking like man if I if I spent you know like a month or two learning this concerto like note for note. Yeah. I I don't know how much I mean, sure, like the way you play a thing, you're going to have your own tone, but I feel like by then you're you, it, it's not really yours. I don't know, and man. It,
0: don't you get comfortable though enough to fuck with it?
1: Well, I think that's what they're saying did happen.
0: Yeah, that's that but that's I don't know, maybe that's a process thing the people that are in the band subscribe to that because I know that's that's my process for sure is to get comfortable enough to fuck it up. Like literally just to fuck with it and, and not try to achieve the perfect way of playing it. It's to make it fun. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say fucking fun, but like, um, I don't know when I read that too, that really resonated with me. Cause I was like, yeah,
1: um, but that's I'm on board. But that's your part that you're writing. To me, it seemed like, the musical director or Omar or the singer, they had the parts written. It was their thing that they wanted. Exactly. And everybody else Omar's
0: always written the songs. He's, he's, he's always had them done.
2: He's on record saying he broke up at the drive-in because it was limiting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which
0: obviously it definitely was. Absolutely. Um, But like, it's a
2: douchey thing to say. Yeah, I, I I guess
0: I Can't you see though Like the jump off From Relationship of Command to tremulant to deloused Like
2: Oh there's a certain There's a progression You know what I mean I This mean, man is just, massively talented
0: If Yeah if you listen to Enough at the drive-in You will start Playing and writing stuff That sounds like Mars Volta Because he's you know, Well I won't In but. your head Okay Because I can't but, In case, um, No it's in, It's interesting because the thing that you get from Marsville to often, and I don't know how many times you, or if you guys have seen them at all. Um, I think I've seen them more than almost any other group. I think I'm at seven or eight, maybe nine times. Um, I miss them and every time. It's, it's, it's a jam. It feels like a jam. And the whole thing is very, very much like seeing jazz in a basement or something like that. Um, the thing about it is, is like, to Daniel's point, to know then that these things have been orchestrated in this way. um, It kind of does make me wonder, uh, you know, like how much of it is like that singular personality, or if there is a lot of these different personalities contributing, you know?
1: You know, I, so I just watched um, earlier this week, finally, that David Bowie documentary, the last five years. And his last couple of albums and and maybe Bowie worked like this for all of his stuff, but you know, I don't, don't know. He for, so particularly for black star, his last album, he had, um, the Donnie McCaslin jazz group. He was like, I just want to write songs with you guys. And he had like some sketches of ideas, but then that group would just kind of take it and they would do their thing. And then Bowie like, all right, I I kind of dig that. Or Bowie just come in and lay his thing right on top and this idea of having like a musical director because his previous album before black star he had like a composer like a classical jazz composer she was like you know like the real deal um i don't know man i feel like that is more organic than the impression i was getting from this and and also it's just the type of music and the style so you know, this is very like Prague. Prague music has a very methodical metronomical um, uh, uh, presentation. That's a great
0: word. Metronomical. Cause that's, you hear the metronome in so much Prague.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, and, and, and it also can skew self-indulgent. Yeah. Um, which I actually want in my Prague music. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> like,
0: Dude, there's, there's some, there were some points where I felt like I was in the Star Wars cantina watching Mars Volta. like the, the various <laughs> sort of like influences that they bring in, though. You know what I mean? Where you get the dude playing the organ who busts out a flute and then you have these wild horn parts and stuff like that that come in. I think like if there's a link between this um, and Lakewood, to me, it was just like like unabashed, you know, representation. Kind of, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like this is because the, they've always, that was a really big thing. I mean, that was a point of contention for At The Drive-In was that the fact that everybody but the other guitarist dude who made Sparta was uh, an immigrant. Right. And and they had their various heritage and they would they would be combative about that because Omar did want to push them more towards these. And and, uh, Cedric did want to sing in Spanish. You know what I mean? Like there were these various things that that became points of contention. I mean, there's a live recording of them playing catacombs where um, what's his name? The guitarist, the white dude. Jim. Jim. Where Jim's like, uh, these guys don't believe that my people have rhythm. And these guys don't believe that my people can dance and they play catacombs, which is just a triplet, very white sort of like thing. Like, you know, and it's it's almost like a march. And um, it's it's kind of interesting to see like this is very unabashedly playing what they want to play, bringing music to everybody that, you know, is kind of like not ever. Being exposed to that group that listened to driving, right? Yeah. The white people listening to driving did not listen to dub, did not listen to Latin jazz, did not listen to any of the stuff that Mars Volta does, you know. Until they, until they heard Mars Volta do it.
2: And this thing fucking charted, like <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> like it's wild that an album. I mean, stop you know, it. we're fifteen years removed now, but like you can't, an album like this that by first impression for most people would be inaccessible, inaccessible, I should say, um, but for people like me who, who wanted to try something and wanted to a different experience and they got it. Yeah. Um, but for the thing to chart and do as well as it did, um, it's incredible, especially considering like, you can't imagine something like this selling so well now, dude, there's three
0: songs over 12 minutes, two of which were the singles. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I was like, I was like, I was like putting the widow on when I'm at a bar because yeah you you get like you know a song for the you first 3 minutes you get first minute chorus. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you get 12 minutes of wah,
2: wah, wah, wah.
0: <laughs> I mean it's 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 pretty interesting because um one of my favorite songs from this is is that one that's pretty much just in between two other songs and it's just the chorus essentially of mm-hmm. the the three songs uh uh plan a nail and the naval stream that one um it's like 3 minutes It's like a pop song, but it's just because it's the chorus. I always go go back to that one because I'm like, they do this like this is part of this album,
1: you know, and it's like fantastic. How long is the last track? It's like 37 minutes, right? Yeah,
2: Cassandra, that's my that's my lady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cassandra,
0: what are you, Wayne? Thirty (laughs) two
1: minutes. So I I I almost I almost feel like that that should have just been its own EP you know because that yeah i don't know
2: actually did you did i read up about cassandra and how it was supposed to be just one track on the album but the the label was like listen we're gonna pay you ep wages if you're no you don't have more than five songs on this so they randomly cut cassandra up not even within the movements that are that are present just cut the bitch up into like (laughs) Twelve different tracks just to satisfy that. Just to have yeah, that ridiculous yeah. mandate.
1: Whatever, you know. Um, I mean, that's funny.
2: It's. I think it's hysterical. Yeah. Way to go.
1: So, so you mentioned that they charted, and I, I think, it would let's talk about the climate. Fifteen years ago, we had preceding this album. We had um, System of a Down, kind of pushing the boundary a little bit about what people can tolerate. Some new metal and. Yeah. Yep, and, and then uh, Muse. You know, um, yeah. Absolution was pushing what they had done on, um, uh, what was before that? Um,
2: was that Origin of Symmetry?
1: That was before that, but then their first one. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But Absolution came out. That was sort of like their bigger breakthrough. And then when, when did Black Holes and Revelations come out? That was probably an 05 release? I think or 05 that? or 06. Okay, so we had this kind of climate of this of this uh, progressive rock finding its way into the mainstream, which is, you know, a good time for white dudes that want to buy line six uh, (laughs) amplifiers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I knew so many guys that bought line sixes around then too. (laughs) I had, I had a line six, you
0: know, it's, you know, what's funny is like, um, yeah, I guess it was a little bit after this too, but like, I know a lot of people that I knew would start to get into like um, some of this stuff, like Nerve, like JoJo Mayer stuff and whatnot, and like you know, you you have you have various things that have always been around, like Primus, that have been charting and being yeah. weird like that, and you know, it's it's I I don't I don't know that it caught anybody by surprise more because of the length and the progression and stuff but I thought it was more surprising because of the various musical influences that were being pulled together yeah. into one thing it's cool yeah I I, you know that's my final thought <laughs> it's, it's cool yeah I I dated somebody that said that this was the wave of the future when it came out right before this that, that, that music was going to follow this that this was what we were watching history in the making the first time we saw them
2: I I I would have liked that to have happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it's 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 an ocean, man. It, it's got to an ebb and flow, and it, it the, the tides have to have to peak at some point. And I think that this maybe wasn't necessarily a cresting, but it was certainly a moment that was like you. It was it was a a crest that you could stand from and look out from. Yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, songs like The Black Parade inferior but catchier. It's gonna gonna win and, out.
0: And and people, yeah, you know, there's only so far you can push the majority, you know? Yeah. And I think it's it's like that game on the boardwalk with all the quarters and mm-hmm. some just are so <laughs> on the edge and they're precarious. You know, it's like how are you not falling right now with me stepping near you? You machine. Wanna. You know, I don't Cause wanna. I don't want to <laughs> but you might drop that quarter that you know has. That's a great.
1: That's a great analogy. You that's know, pretty it's, good. The i yeah, it. using that. It'll,
0: it'll knock the rest of the quarters over. Whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm going to use that too. Go
0: for it. You know. Let's jump into this brew. Um, Dogfish Head, as we know, makes the 60, 90, 120-minute. Uh, Daniel has picked for us the Palo Santo, Marron. Mm-hmm. Wood aged brown ale. This is aged and handmade Palo Santo tanks, unfiltered, unfiltered the largest
1: Palo Santo tank, probably only in the world.
0: I don't even know what that is.
1: Nope. Nah, so, no so idea. So Palo Palo Santo <laughs> is a very um dense wood that exists. Man, I looked this up years ago when this came out. Somewhere deep in South America. And maybe Central America, um, whatever you know. It ain't it ain't it ain't this America, baby. They don't speak. They don't speak American down there. Um, Ugly. Yeah. Being somewhere, being obtuse. Somewhere on the other side of that massive caravan that's coming. Yeah. Still on its way. Um, For anybody anyway.
0: that doesn't know, he's clearly joking. Yes. Oh joking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mocking
1: uh-huh. mocking yeah. people who say
0: that actual thing. Savagely, if you
2: will. <laughs>
1: So they, they constructed this tank out of this wood and it's a super dense wood and it just has the smell of vanilla. So you're really, when you drink this beer, you're getting really? all of the essence of the wood that the ale has been soaked in. And it's so good. I no love kidding. a
2: good hard wood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yo.
0: So, so the the wood itself has... Straight up vanilla overtones to it. Yeah, Essence all the stuff. In it. No shit. Roast, roasty it vanilla. Say, yeah, roasty vanilla and caramel complexities. Let's uh, let's sip it. Let's do it. Cheers, brother.
2: I don't have what they're drinking, but I'm sure it's good.
1: Holy moly! Oh, that is nice. I used to at the oh, end of my shift. So creamy. I'd have a shift beer. And if I didn't want to stay up and drink, I would just get one of these and just, just drink this fast. <laughs> my God. <laughs> oh, because you would, because you would fall asleep. fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause, cause not having a shift beer, I felt was like, um, wage theft in a sense, you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, I work a shift, I get my shift pay and I get a shift beer. If I don't have any, if I, you know, that's money. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So, Jeez, that's wild, um, man. How about we do this, Nick Mahalik Let's 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 fuck shit up. Okay, I'm gonna introduce the rating system. Okay, we're gonna do that, and then me and Gregorio will finish the beer segment and do the uh, socials. Sounds good. Okay, so the rating system is so in in Lakewood there was um, memory tests going on where she had to remember three words, five words, whatever.
0: Memorize my face.
1: Yes. So, in honor of um, the uh, worst president to ever uh, doth the office. Polk?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Trump, 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 right, right,
1: right. There we go, yeah, yeah. I am going to rate Lakewood um, three out of five person, woman, man, camera TVs. Jesus,
2: I'm not going to be able to remember that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're you're clearly not a genius like our president. <laughs> um, I am going to rate um, Francis the Mute four out of five person, man, woman, camera TVs. <laughs> and it's Paulo Santo, five out of five person, woman, man, camera TV.
0: And what about the book? I he did, did like Oh, Lakewood. I missed it. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, what is it again? Person, woman, man, camera,
1: TV? Yeah. Yes. I guess you're, you're not as That's smart it. as the president, I guess.
0: Because yep. I, I remembered it exactly.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> that you were um, asking for confirmation. Oh, but. right, right, right. I need to
0: remember <laughs> it. Right, of course. Um, okay. So, I am going to rate Lakewood a a four out of five person, woman, man, camera, TV. Uh, I'm going to rate Francis the Mute a um, five out of five person, woman, man, camera, TV. Boris Volta can do no wrong in my estimation. Um, and this Paulo Santo Santo a <laughs> uh, a a four point eight out of five person, woman, man, camera, TV for the only reason being is because once you breach 8% you're you're i mean just just flirting with disaster and uh to put that out there for me and have a taste this delicious you're a maniac
1: yeah it's <laughs> it's tough to mask the uh the alcohol you know but they they they, they, they almost so creamy
0: succeed yeah. and and <laughs> delicious it's very very difficult um to go oh yeah i'll be fine and you won't You will not be. I will not be. (laughs) Maybe bedtime.
1: Maybe don't drink all of it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You gotta drink
2: all of it. Come on. He's an adult. He can do what he wants. You (laughs) silly. Got a pill for you. Let me find. My turn, right? (laughs) Yep. All right. So for Lakewood by Megan Giddings, uh, that's three out of five. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. Uh, For the Mars Volta, ten out of five. People, women, men, cameras, and TVs.
1: <laughs> you you channeled your inner Jack Black on that one.
2: <laughs> and then I'm drinking uh, a Shiner cold brew coffee ale, um, and I'm gonna give that a two out of five.
1: As you should, most things Shiner.
2: Yeah, it's not good.
1: Serviceable does the job. It's fine. It's, it's, it's wet fine. and it you has know what? alcohol.
2: <laughs> It's uh, it's beer. Uh, and that's all. So.
1: So, dear listeners, um, we just love you so much that we just try to fit all of the cast in our schedules this crazy week. But our leader, Nick Mahalik, had to bail on us. So you were just stuck with Daniel and Gregorio, Nicholas with a G.
2: What a huge mistake you've made by listening this far. I don't really have. I don't I know have how nothing much, left. So I'm good. So, yeah, so, so that said, you're off. You're off the hook. Um, um.
1: The Dogfish at Palo Santo. I, I could say that uh, if you. I mean, they're just great. They're one of the first, I guess, really big craft breweries to really kind of explode, at least on the East Coast you know if we're counting like sam excuse me if we're counting sam adams as um a microbrewery then i guess they are but uh, yeah, that's bullshit yeah that's right?
2: bull but dogfish but, like people still like go to their to the brewery like that's like a trek now
1: yeah um i mean for a while this was like the place you would make a trek to it and yeah. they i they had a tv show like they were so popular like tss, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago when the craft scene was just like, just fucking booming and booming and booming. <laughs> Not like microbreweries like that we have now, like every neighborhood's got two or three microbreweries. but you know, um, I'll have to find the name of that, that but they, there was a, uh, a series that the owner founder, head brewer of dogfish head. Uh, he was, it was his, you know, some That's really cool. station said, Hey man, I forget his name like eight, seriously eight years ago you would have said his name and like oh yeah that, that guy from dogfish head. <laughs> it was like famous
2: yeah I, I'll, I'll tell you dogfish head uh, the 60 minute was was um one of my favorite things on earth back when i was uh 21 22 and before mm-hmm. i put on all that weight and it ruined my stomach <laughs> um but i'm back now anyway it doesn't matter um yeah it was that was the thing you know what i mean it mm-hmm. was people had cores people had Sam Adams and people had Dogfish Head and people fought over the Dogfish Head. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> you know? So um,
1: here's a, here's a little background on them from their website. So the, so the owner was Sam caligioni Um so it opened in 95 and it produces 262,000 barrels of beer annually. I'm going I'm going to assume that's an impressive number. I don't know. I believe
2: that's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Um and between two thousand three and two thousand six, right in that sweet spot I'm I'm referencing. Wait, I'm saying like eight years ago. I forget that it's two thousand twenty. Yeah. We're old. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I was like thinking around two thousand and six and seven. Yeah. Which is so a little after this, but it grew it says it grew nearly four hundred percent between two thousand three and two thousand six. For business wow. to grow that much, that is insane. Wow. And for craft, crazy. for beer?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like Dogfish Head was like the, I mean, on the, anymore, you get, you talk about craft beer, it's it's Treehouse is like the, the, the gold mm-hmm. standard now, right? Yeah. And like me and my buddies did the calculation of all the people that go and get in line and they're open Friday through Sunday, right? They pulled in like a rough estimate one and a half million dollars a day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just from the amount of people that were in line, the the prices of their beer, and the amount of beer people were walking out with. So imagine that with Dogfish Head back in the day. It's almost unbelievable that Dogfish Head was that popular.
1: Yeah, then. you couldn't. It's you probably couldn't grow that much right now, right? Probably not. The market is so saturated with microbreweries. Yes, correct.
2: It's and, and often enough, it's it's word of mouth that comes from uh, manufactured sellouts of um, types of beer. Um, that happens. There's a there's a brewery in, in Hatfield uh, called Imprint. They're very very good. Their IPAs are outrageous, but they have this this type of beer, this like heavily fruited kettle sour, that is so massively popular, and they'll only make a certain amount. And they'll sell out in a minute online every Friday, mm-hmm. um, and you can go on the internet and like people are selling it for three times the amount that they bought it. You know what I mean? And like that's why Imprint has its name. It's not because the beer is good. It's because somebody loved it and
1: manufactured so, uh, scarcity.
2: Yep, exactly right. And and I think that's where the growth is coming from now. Not so much from actual yeah.
1: You you gotta make a thing and make it seem special, like these exactly like dickhead pizzerias was like oh you've got to order your dough on <laughs> <Fuck> sunday <that. laughs> because you can't just show up and have a pizza you've got to order your d- like i get it but
2: fuck off i'm just gonna i i don't whatever well look, nope. the thing about it is like we can sit here and scoff all we want but people order their dough
1: I don't. It's probably really fucking good.
2: It's probably great. Look. <laughs> yeah. There's a pizza.
1: There's a pizza John that opened up in my neighborhood down on main street in Maniunk. And people are like, it's so good. They love it. Um, <laughs> but I usually have pizza like on the weekend when it's like, oh, what do you want to do tonight? Because we haven't planned dinner. Right. So but, it's like, I don't know. Let's go get a pizza. Yeah. So it's like, we should it's have supposed told- to It's supposedly
2: readily available. <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyway, I guess my thought on that and the, my same thought on beer is that there is so much good beer and pizza just readily available i don't need i'm at i'm at i i'm at a point in life where i don't need the rigmarole if maybe I us go like on vacation you know and you're planning things out and it's like well there's this great pizzeria there but you got to order your dough yada yada you'd get there i'd order it and i know it's a special thing but day to day fuck off
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm just going to mr p's like fuck this guy yeah like
1: how much better is it really going to be you know for
2: beer or pizza you know well you know people have the the astounding ability to taste and feel things that aren't actually real, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, it's just they, the experience.
1: <laughs> they need to lie because, cause if they oh. looked at, they looked at what what they were really doing, they would oh. be ashamed of themselves. Wait, exactly. you waited, you waited in line for that long, oh, just for this beer. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like. Because I can yeah, see that, here, I could see here on Beer Advocate, you rated that beer a five, but then you also rated nu- Nuki Brown, some Newcastle Brown, also a five.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I want to read to you one of my more recent. I don't ever like comment on on a beer on uh, Untapped, mm-hmm. but. Um, and this is how like deep into this beer shit I am. Like this, like we we came about this beer through like the beer black market. Like we mm-hmm. sold, we bought some shit and had it shipped. And anyway, um, this is called Mega Treat by Treehouse, and I wrote: There are no words on God's green earth that can describe how spectacularly erect I am. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> All and, caps. Um,
1: and i think i'm going to steal that uh sound clip <laughs> and <laughs> that's going to be my christmas that's going to put that in my christmas card <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> all right mate do you have do you have any final thoughts on the uh
2: anything uh shiner's not so great <laughs>
1: <Doctor> <laughs> Shed is really great and for all you assholes that uh you petulant uh, dick bags. I'm being so oh, mean to people. <laughs> it's a, tw- that's, that's a 12%. That's the 12%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like people that only like, man, I only like IPAs. Like that's all they'll drink. Yeah. Like they're fucking like those kids that will only eat chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> like grow the fuck up. All right. <laughs> I, I blame dogfish head for that because no, of their, absolutely yes, their absolutely. 60 minute. Yep. And they're ninety minute. Um, as I think, I feel like Mahalik has said this a number of times during the cast that you'd go into a bar, and you'd see, you know, well, if you knew they had the Dogfish Head, it was probably the sixty minute. Sure, I'll have that because everything else is probably like something not very awesome. Right. So, I blame Dogfish Head for that. For um. Yeah. For making
2: beer snobs exist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 So uh, oh, that's right. it for me, man. You want to hit us with Great. them socials?
2: Yes. Thank you for listening, dear listener. Um, you can hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash Podcast on Twitter at Book Record Beer and on Instagram at book.record.beer. We're on SoundCloud, of course. We're on iTunes, of course. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next month. Daniel, my friend, it's been a pleasure.
1: It's been all on that side of the camera, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>
2: See you, everybody.